The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew 28, verse 16. If you don't... own a Bible or have a Bible, we would really like to give you one. They're free. We have them out at the Connection Kiosk in the hallway. If you don't see enough out there, we got cases of them in the back because giving Bibles away is one of our favorite things to do, okay? So we can hook you up. If you don't have something with you right now to follow along with us, we will have the verses on the screens. Okay, so uh, what are we doing? We're finishing our series today called The Disciples Path. We've taken eight weeks to examine what it looks like to respond to the call of Christ We see recorded five times throughout the Gospels. Here's what we're focusing on. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Five different times we see throughout the Gospels Jesus saying that. Slightly different ways, but the same point is coming across. And so many people have positive feelings towards Jesus, or at least who they think Jesus is. Many people acknowledge that his life and teachings have resonated through generations since he walked the earth and that he's undeniably shaped the course of human history. However, Jesus did not leave us the option to simply acknowledge that he was a good man or even a great teacher. He came claiming to be God in the flesh, the second member of the eternal Trinitarian Godhead and the savior of the world. In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. And so we are not left with a safe or neutral middle ground where we can admire the things about him that we find personally palatable and just ignore the rest. That place doesn't exist. We must decide if he is who he said he was. And if he is, then we must follow the path he has laid out for us. Not just ask him to save us from the calamity we fall into trying to go our own way. Now, some have falsely claimed that following Jesus means your life should be free of suffering and struggling. But the words of our master to take up our cross and follow him give us a clear picture of the truth. Walking the path of a true disciple is sometimes harder than going our own way, but it is always better. To the degree we believe that uh, is going to determine how free we really stand in this life. Now, what we're about to read is the last thing that King Jesus said to his men as he uh, prepared them to take the good news of the gospel to the world, and this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. Last thing he says, okay? So, I don't know about you, that makes me want to pay even greater attention than I am to the rest of what Jesus said. Uh, I want to pay real close attention to everything my master said, but this is is the last thing he thought worthy of leaving them with. So, we're in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, we're going to read to verse 20, okay? Okay? It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God for his word. Part of why following Jesus can be so difficult is because he has actually called us to do the impossible. 
If we look carefully, we can see plainly that our Lord was not unaware of the monumental task that he's placed upon those who follow him. Look at what he does before he says, go therefore uh, into every nation, into all the world. Some translations say, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before he drops that bomb on them, what does he say first? Well, first of all, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus kind of makes a sandwich here. He's got some encouraging stuff that should really help you be confident, but then in the middle, he drops a bomb on those of us that are going to follow him. He puts this, he saddles us with a responsibility that is, it's jaw-dropping in its scope, because he didn't just say, uh, tell as many people as you can find. He didn't give some geographical limitation. He said, go into every nation, into all the world, and make disciples. So not only does he start out by saying, all authority has been given to me, but then he ends with this beautiful, precious promise that I hope you're clinging to today because I am. I need it. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That he's powerful, that he's mighty, that all authority has been given to him, and that he's going to be with us. It is only because of those two things that we have any chance of looking at what he said in between and not just running scared. Because it's not just the scope of what he called us to. It's not just that he said all nations or the whole world, depending on what translation you're looking at. It's what he called us to. You see, he didn't call us to just make converts as if that was easy. He didn't call us just to go out and to get somebody to raise their hand and acknowledge that perhaps this gospel makes sense. He's called us to go beyond that, to take people's hand, to walk with them, to be disciple makers. He's called us to something so impossible in our own strength that it should leave us on our knees in front of him, understanding every single day that we are in desperate need of the help of his Holy Spirit and his empowering to do any of this. And, and here's part of the guys that Jesus was talking to here, the disciples, they had just been discipled for three years by the perfect disciple maker, right? And so they knew that this was not something they could accomplish on their own. They understood how the Son of God dealt with them in making them into disciples. They knew they couldn't do this. And we must know this as well. God has included us in his great and glorious plan of redemption. And that's a fact that should forever fill us with awe and wonder. But in doing so, he has also put us in a position where we have no hope whatsoever of accomplishing his purpose without his presence. That is the position we stand in today, friends. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, empowering us to do what would be impossible without him. See, what we know from all that Jesus taught and did is that part of being a disciple is making disciples. There is no such thing as a faithful disciple that does not participate in the glorious occupation of making disciples. Right? This whole series is about following Jesus. Did Jesus make pretty plain what he was about, <laughs> what all his life and teaching was preparing those men for, and what he was calling them to do? He was calling them to go make disciples that could then make disciples that could then make disciples. This is God's plan of redemption. Disciple-making is the way God is bringing redemption and the beauty of his gospel into the world. It's disciple-making. But disciples aren't made if disciples don't make disciples. You're saying disciples a lot. Oh, it's going to happen a lot more. Buckle up. Making disciples is not a task reserved for some elite class of super Christians. 
It is both the privilege and responsibility of all who have been set free from the bondage of sin and death to show others the way to freedom. It's our privilege and responsibility. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, but I don't know how to make disciples, or I don't feel qualified to make disciples. And friend, those are wise and humble thoughts, but when we realize our inadequacy, instead of retreating from the purpose our master has given us, we should reach out in prayer and ask him to help us. All that Jesus taught and did, the scriptures are written in such a way to leave you understanding your inadequacy. You know, if you're reading the Bible and going, I don't think it's working very well, I feel worse when I read it. You're reading it right. That's exactly the point, man. The law was a tutor to let you know you can't do this on your own. You cannot conjure your own righteousness. You need God. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. No qualifier. <laughs> I believe it, man. I know how much of a doofus I am. I know how much I need the Lord. In addition to praying and asking him to help us, as we realize the monumental task before us in disciple-making, we can also look to the scriptures and observe the methods of Jesus, the master disciple-maker. And, and it's incredibly appropriate for us to focus on these things today, making disciples, because the definition of a godly father is one who loves his children enough to faithfully disciple them. There's much overlap in disciple-making and being a godly father. So what we're going to do is point out three ways that King Jesus invested in his disciples, that he made them into his disciples. He spent time with them, he taught them, and he trained them. Okay. So the first is that he spent time with them. Notice that Jesus did not call the 12 disciples to come and follow him, hand them a stack of books, and tell them that he would be back in three years to quiz them. Is that what he did? Not at all. He spent those three years with those men, eating with them and traveling with them and walking with them through whatever situations arose as they lived life together. Jesus could have wrote on a scroll, I'm good and I'm powerful and you can trust me. Or he could wake up from a nap on the Sea of Galilee, say, peace be still to a storm, and his disciples watch the wind and the very waves obey him. One's going to have slightly more impact than the other. But you come to the same conclusion. <laughs> He's good and powerful and can be trusted. In John 15, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Let's think about this. If Jesus does something a certain way, we can always know that is the best way to do that thing. Are you guys with me on that premise? Will you at least come to that table? If Jesus does something a certain way, then that is the best way that thing can be done, right? Okay? Jesus spent the time to build real relationships and connection with those he discipled. And so we would be foolish to think we could somehow skip this crucial element in the process. You understand what I'm saying to you? If we think we can make disciples detached from relational investment and the time that it takes to have that, we're fools. Because if anybody could do that, if anybody could disciple by osmosis, it would have been Jesus. 
He could have spit in some clay and threw it in their eyes. You know, he did that sometimes. Boom, you're disciples. Apparently not. Apparently that's not the best way because that's not the way he did it. And, and as we think through these things, this is why we know disciples can't be made through programs or systems alone. These can be helpful tools that are a part of the process, but true discipleship must have the kind of messy, person-to-person, life-on-life interaction that allows people to see principles applied in practice. Jesus taught us this. He showed us this. And this is a part of why every disciple of Jesus must wake up to the reality that they are called to be a disciple-maker. The huge amount of intentional investment that it takes to not just tell someone, but to show someone how to follow Jesus, that can't be done by a select few. We can't get the job done that way. We can't just go into all the world and share the gospel. We must go into all the world and show the gospel. And that means all of us that know the gospel need to be engaged in this very basic rudimentary mission that Jesus gave us. This is not optional. And so I hope you're assessing yourself. I hope you're letting the word of God be a mirror right now and you're thinking about what disciple-making looks like in your life. Some of you might be sitting here saying, I've never made a disciple. I haven't thought much about disciple-making. Not even sure where to start. Great. There's hope for you. Pray. Start with that. Just say, God, okay, I hear your word and I don't want to be a hearer, only I want to be a doer. Help me understand how to start participating in this glorious mission of making disciples. Maybe you're somebody that's made a lot of disciples, but you've got tired because people are tough. <laughs> Maybe there needs to be repentance and a re-engagement and, and prayer and asking God to help you lean on him and not on your own strength. Maybe you're rock and rolling and you're the A-plus disciple maker and you should be teaching this sermon. Hallelujah. Come see me afterward. You can go next week, Okay. There's all kinds of people that could be in here, but we need to understand the word of God will meet each one of us where we're at. And if you are doing pretty good at this, then just be encouraged at this. Go ahead and let's, let's just rally together and pray for everybody that needs to yet be convinced that this applies to them or needs to be taught how to apply it. Amen. <clears throat> I have a sneaking suspicion that all of us, if assessing ourselves humbly, would understand that we could probably grow in this at least a wee bit. I see a few nodding heads. I see perhaps someone that's conked out in the air conditioning, but that's all right. The word's still going in their heart. I'm just kidding. There's nobody asleep out there. That's the fun part about this. I, you know, I can see everybody, so it's good. I keep a list. Okay. Uh, it, it's also pretty easy to see, by the way, uh, how this discipleship principle of investing time, how that translates into fatherhood. I mean, how many stories have you heard of dads who thought that loving their kids meant always putting stuff in their hands, but that just led to kids with broken hearts? That's obviously, this, this one isn't too hard to connect. It's not too hard to see how disciple-making and being a, a godly father are the same. Uh, to kind of summarize this and just lay it out, some of us struggle with investing time in other people because we're selfish. That is the reason for some of us. Some of us struggle with it because we're lazy. Some of us struggle because we truly don't believe we have anything to offer. Every one of these are excuses based on deceptions. But our God has given us the truth in his word, and the truth will set us free from every one of these encumbrances. 
from every one of the roadblocks and, and all the ones that I didn't say. So if you're the one out there throwing, oh, he didn't, he didn't mention my hang-up, the truth will set you free too, dear friend. I can't list them all, or that'd be the whole sermon, okay? Because we're jacked up in lots of colorful ways. Amen. Okay. He spent time with them, and he taught them. He taught them. This is another place where uh, many of you may feel quickly overwhelmed. You might think, sure, Jesus taught his disciples, but buddy, that was Jesus, right? So where, where do I land there? And, and, and again, it's good for us to humbly acknowledge our inability to teach others how to obey all that Jesus commanded on our own. But can I just say this again very plainly? We are not alone. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. We also, I think, should broaden our understanding of what it means to teach others. Because sometimes you may have the opportunity to explain some certain doctrine or theological concept or truth from the scriptures. And, and in those cases, the Holy Spirit will help you to do that faithfully if you trust him. Or you may have a chance to lead a Bible study at work or at school or in your home where you help multiple, multiple people at one time uh, know how to learn how to follow uh, Jesus. Sometimes you may teach hundreds of people a profound truth without even trying because you are walking out faithfully by God's grace what the scripture would call you to in a certain situation. There are several people that are a part of this church that I know for a fact the way they have stood in the midst of a storm that by all intents and purposes should have just swept them away, should have overwhelmed them. But they've stood and believed in the goodness and the faithfulness and the might of Jesus. I know for a fact, because I've had the conversations, that others have learned something of the reality of Christ and, and what perseverance looks like just by observing their life and their walk. Uh, and if you're one of those people and, and, and you know you're you, I honor you and I'm thankful for the lessons you're teaching. Praise God. Jesus taught big groups of people sometimes. Uh, he taught small groups of people sometimes. And sometimes he would teach one-on-one. -on -one. And all of these are opportunities for disciple-making. I'm trying to broaden our understanding of what it looks like to teach as a part of making disciples. We should be open to God using each of us in any of these ways. You know, I know some of you are like, yup, not going to be speaking in front of people, right? Like, I'll jump in a bathtub full of snakes before I stand up and talk in front of people. I get that. But God could, uh, just look at the Bible. God likes to grab people that are the most unlikely candidate and use them to do something just to show off that he's God and he can do it. I would just submit to you Exhibit A. I mean, the fact that I'm up here doing this is a great example of the fact that God will take the one nobody thought <laughs> and make him do something he didn't even really want to do for his glory. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. It's great. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, now, some of you uh, more scholarly types <clears throat> might be more... Um, you might be more technical with your pushback at this moment, so I'm anticipating that. So there might be some of you out there saying, well, James 3 says that not many should be teachers because they'll have stricter judgment. So 
There you go, buddy. I'm not teaching anybody anything. <laughs> not trying to. Right? <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad at least you're throwing Bible back at me and not just attitude, you know. I don't want to or whatever. Uh, but here's the reality. In James 3, James is referring to those who teach with authority as leaders in the church, in the office of elders and deacons, and teaching in that way. And they will answer with more severe scrutiny and accountability. But Jesus has called all of his followers to make disciples and to teach them to obey all that he commanded. That is the words that Jesus used. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Okay? So you can't take James 3 and try to neutralize what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Okay? And honestly, we also see this discipleship principle. It overlaps with the responsibility of fathers very plainly. Let me just read you this, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so... This element of disciple-making that is a willingness to teach, a desire to teach others how to obey Jesus, this translates very cleanly and very plainly into the realm of being a godly dad. Uh, the third thing we're going to point out is that he, he not only spent time with his disciples, he not only taught them, but he also trained them. And there is, of course, uh, some similarities between teaching and training, but there's also, at least one distinction I think is, is really worth pointing out as we think through these things. Jesus did not just verbally instruct his disciples, and he even went further than showing them a perfect example by letting them watch him do ministry. See, the Lord of glory surely never needed the assistance of his disciples, but he, he let them help him anyways. And there's a difference between that's part of what I'm, I'm advocating for here is a difference between teaching and training. Verbally instructing somebody and then saying to them, here, come help me do this. Come participate in this work. Let's get down in here together and let's, let's okay, we're going to dig a ditch. Let's both have a shovel. Because what that helps with is the disciple maker can watch how the other one digs. And the one that's learning can be watching the one that's already done it. And they're working together. And there's also relational bonds that forge when we get in there and, and, and we're doing the work of the ministry together. Uh, and so it's really valuable to see this as a vital part of our mission of making disciples. Uh, just thinking of an example, you know, let's think about the feeding of the 5,000, okay? Do you really think that Jesus needed them to have everyone sit down in little groups by number and distribute the loaves and fish? Personally, I imagine that Jesus could have made that food just uh, float around to each person, right, with such precision that it would have made Luke Skywalker floating rocks on Dagobah look like amateur hour, right? That's, that's a Star Wars reference. You guys okay? You guys know what that is? Lightsabers? Yeah, okay. If you don't know what I'm talking about, and, and you're going to try to do gospel mission in this culture, go watch Star Wars, please. Okay, you need to understand these references. I'm, I'm disappointed with how that went. I, I, you can see that on my face. Okay. I'll get over it, though. 
Okay, so, but in fact, you know, aside from Jesus just like, you know, sending it out, I mean, I assume he could have just caused the food to manifest in everybody's stomach. We could have just skipped the chewing part and swallowing part altogether, right? <laughs> Boom, everyone's full. And they get that little aftertaste of the whole experience, right? You skip the work. Jesus could have done it anyway, is my point, right? Could have turned the loaves and fish into filet mignon if he wanted to, but he didn't. He did it a certain way. He involved his disciples. He had them come and gather the baskets as he was multiplying. He had them pick up the extra pieces at the end. He had them interacting with the people as they were broken into groups and sat down. He let his disciples participate. He let them be up close and personal to see the miracle and to love and to serve the people. He did it on purpose. And and really, this is an often missed element in disciple-making. We are often so focused on getting people the information they need to know, but we fail to intentionally facilitate opportunities for them to put what they've learned into practice. The reality is to make disciples who really obey Jesus, we can't just fill people's heads with truth. We must help that truth move to their hearts and show them how to respond then with love-motivated actions. Didn't God say in his word, don't be hearers, but doers of the word? Being hearers of the word with good intentions brings no glory to God. It's no help. We have to act. I would also just point out that disciple-making dads and, and moms too, it's Father's Day, so we're zeroing in on that, but parents, they have a clear commission to practice this with their children. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so these principles, they flow back and in and out of each other. I don't know how often we think of our parenting as disciple-making, but I think it would be helpful if we did more often. Jesus being able to train his disciples by letting them join him in ministering to people, it required first that he was ministering to people. If you can't think of any ways that you can invite someone that you are discipling to help you love people and share the gospel with them, then it might be time to evaluate how you're stewarding the time and the gifts that God has given you. There is a lot to consider when it comes to answering the call to make disciples. It's easy to get overwhelmed. And it's easy then to suffer a kind of spiritual paralysis as a result. I think sometimes people just think about the task and it seems so big and their eyes, they, they glaze over the fact that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. The promises just go away. They look at the task of trying to go into all the world and make disciples or even go into their neighborhood and make disciples and it just seems so big and it seems so monumental that there's a, they just do nothing. And if that's been you, if that's been the position you've been in, I would, I would ask you to just pray. Ask God to give you eyes to see the opportunities, the doors that he's opening up with people. Because when Jesus sent out uh, his disciples on a mission, uh, one of the times he said, listen, go out there, look for people of peace, man. If, if they're receiving what you're saying, then great, stay there and preach. If they're not, shake the dust off your feet and rock on. You're going to bump into some people that are going to be ready. Their, their heart is going to be tilled up, fertile soil, ready to receive the seed of the gospel. Some people aren't. We don't leave them angry. We don't leave them with a curse. We pray that God will continue to work on them, but 
we keep moving. We keep looking for a place where we can invest what it is God has put in us. But what is not an acceptable course of action is just to freeze out of fear or out of whatever the motivation. When, when we're struggling with that spiritual paralysis, if we remember that the only reason, the only reason we can possibly even be considering these things at all is because God rescued us from spiritual death by grace through faith in Christ. If we remember the fact that we, literally, we would not even consider these things if we had not been brought from darkness to light, from death to life, if we had not been freed from slavery to sin and death ourselves, if we had not been awoke to the reality of all things and God's gracious kingship over the world, if we had not first experienced grace by the might of his hand, then we would not, this would not be on our radar we would just be thinking about all the other little pleasantries and distractions that keeps everybody else held down. But by the grace of God, he has called us. He has shaken us out of that stupor. He has opened our eyes to see. And so we can consider these things, and we need to remember how that happened. It was by grace through faith in Christ. It was by no work of our own. It was not that we finally got fed up with being slaves to sin and death, so we pulled up our own bootstraps and we broke out. Absolutely not. It was by the power of God and the power of God alone. It was by his mercy, his grace upon us. It's going to be the same thing that empowers us. It's going to be the work of his Holy Spirit empowering us to go and to obey this great and glorious commission to make disciples of every nation. The same power that saved us is the same power that's going to empower us to go and to help others. Understand they don't have to live as slaves and they can be a part of this great rescue mission led by God himself. When we do remember that, when we remember that we ourselves were rescued from spiritual death by grace through faith in Christ, instead of being overwhelmed, we can take our proper place as a tool in the hand of a master craftsman. Think about this. When a sculptor walks in and he sets down a new piece of wood on his workbench, the tools that he uses, they're not sweating bullets and vexing over how that wood is going to turn into something beautiful, are they? Are the chisels and the hasps and everything, are they, oh man, what's going to happen? That's a big log. Looks like walnut, that's going to be tough to cut. They're not worrying about nothing, are they? What are they doing? They realize that that log getting turned into something beautiful, that's totally up to the sculptor. It's up to the sculptor, man. And so here's what the tools need to do. The tools just need to do what they were made to do when he picks them up to use them. Now, some of you are out there going, hold on, did he just call me a tool? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, I did. We're all tools. But I'm happy to be one. Because I'm, I'm in the hands of a craftsman that makes beautiful things. That does work that no one else can do. What an honor to be picked up by that master craftsman, by that sculptor. My God, that he would ever pick me and use me to carve on anything. There'll be no greater honor that I'll ever receive, achieve, and it's all by grace. Praise God. May we be useful tools in the hand of our gracious God. 
as he builds his church by making disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the Great Commission. God, we've all had times of, of looking at what you've called us to and feeling intimidated, feeling under or unqualified altogether. God, thank you. Help us to stay there. Help us to understand our inadequacy, but in the proper light. Help us to counterbalance that with the fact that you've promised to be with us. And so you will empower us. You will fill in the gaps. You will give us all that is necessary so that we can obey you. You've never asked us to do anything that you didn't promise to help us do. Thank you for teaching us who we are and who you are. Thank you for involving us. Thank you, Lord, that you've trained us. You trained your men and you had them train the next generation of disciples and the next and the next. God, thank you for that example in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just dump a bunch of information on us, but you allow us to get our hands into the work, that you allow us to plow in your fields, that you allow us to do what it is you're doing, that you bring us into the great and glorious work of redemption in the earth. Thank you that you are the greatest and best teacher. Thank you, Lord, that Help us to remember back when we used to try to read your word without your Holy Spirit. Some of us can't remember that, Lord, but the ones that do, remind us again of what that was like and show us again the difference of what happens when your Holy Spirit comes and illumines our hearts and minds and gives us eyes to see your truth and how different it is. God, may we count on you again. May we rely on you in a holy way as is intended. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your desire to spend time with us. God, as we seek to be less selfish with our time, to be more intentional with investing in others and making disciples, Lord, I ask that as we do that, and as we begin to pour out of ourselves, our hunger and thirst increases for time with you. God, if we're being honest, there are many, many, many things that pull our attention to the right and to the left. There are many distractions. There are many lesser things. Like a goat eating garbage, Lord, we will settle for whatever we can get our hands on when the greatest delicacies are available. And that's to be in your presence, to be in your word, to stand in, in your court and to worship you, God. Lord, and as, as you pour us out, may we, may we feel the great need to spend more time with you. Some of us are convicted about it here and there, but we can, we can sustain sometimes because we're not being poured out. The edge of... If we're a tool, our edge is not being dulled because we've refused to join in your work. God, please forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for ignorance. But forgive us also for insolence because sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes we just flat don't want to do what you've asked us to do, what you've called us to do, what you've made us for. And that is foolishness of the highest degree, and we repent of it. But thank you, God, for the precious promise you've given us that when we come and we acknowledge our faults, that you don't reject us, but you draw us in close, that you pour out on us again grace and mercy and love. God, please continue to train us and continue to teach us how to train others. We want to be disciple makers in the model of our king. We want to follow in the path that you have laid for us, God. We know, we believe with all our hearts that is the best thing for us. That is where we're going to find joy and hope and purpose and peace, and it's nowhere else. We know, Lord. Sometimes we forget, but we know. And please help us. Keep your hand upon us, O oh God. We worship you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.